How's it going, everyone? Joe Gagney here, welcoming you to edition 79 of Joe vs. the World. Joining me as sometimes is Justin Shapiro. Justin, how you doing? I'm here to Joe the World. I'm here to Joe the World. Come on! Now, Justin's assisting me in the recording of this, so will I get those awesome edits uh, there are on the Justin Shapiro show, those great audio effects? What? What do you mean? That show's live to oh, tape, brother. all right, I didn't. I was including an ad read in the middle. <laughs> Nothing's just there. Huh. All right. How have we never had that uh, Ziggler music for you before, though? It only occurred to me this second, speaking of live. Um, I don't know. That's a darn good question. I'm going to hash out the rest of those lyrics in the future. All right. We are here to rejoin our quest. To show to the world to... Oh. <laughs> No, to go through the WWF in the 1990s. Are you excited? Not for this one. <laughs> Why on earth not? If we just clear this one, I think this could be like the the worst three-month period <laughs> of any segment you pick. Well, And if we just move past this, all the interesting stuff is right around the horizon. There's, or is Pillman's gun on this one? No, there's no, no gun. Fuck! <laughs> Before we um, before we proceed, uh, a little uh, a little no. This is a telethon of sorts, except it's not live, and uh, you can't contribute. We can't contribute. The story is: I'm trying to get to uh, Cleveland, Ohio, this summer for a convention called Wrestle Geek Fest. Uh, I'm going to be part of a lot of video game stuff. We're going to have a lot of setups, some tournaments, fun things like that. I'm just looking for a couple bucks for trans, as they say in the biz. You can go to tinyurl. <laughs> no <laughs> transportation. Is what that stands for. You can go to tinyurl.com slash FTA Cleveland, and there'll be a link with this uh, with this as well. If you've enjoyed the quality podcast we've provided for the past nine years, I believe we are almost exactly nine years. Uh, if we can give you even a buck, even a buck or two, that that would be uh, greatly appreciated. That's all I'll say for now. Justin, are you adequately prepared? That trans joke is a great example of the kind of thing I'd edit off my own show <laughs> due to hackiness. Oops. Oh. Yeah, I um, I wanted to do a proper telethon, and then when we talked about it, I realized I'd never actually seen one. I'd only seen them as like the background plots of sitcoms. So. Okay, well. It would be cool if we had everybody at a big phone bank taking everyone else's Skype. Yeah, we could have. Now. People would... the Cubs fan. That's right. <laughs> the whole family. Tom Feely, yeah. All right. Uh, Hobbs. I should bring the Hobbs back. That's true. You should. In fact, I think if people donate right now, <laughs> I will bring him back for five more minutes. Uh, to recap where we left, we left off at King of the Ring, where uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin won the titular tournament. Shawn Michaels still your champion, and we are headed for a six-man match at the next pay-per-view. Mankind and Undertaker still embroiled in their feud, and... Uh, Things are going hot and heavy, so here we go. In July... Boiled in their... No, go ahead. Because <laughs> they're going to... Oh, fuck. All, All right. right. All right, July, nothing happened. <laughs> I mean, Nope. They, they were on this kick where they would announce matches and then kind of build to them. So we had the main event set up at King of the Ring. They just announced Body Donna Smoking Guns, Mankind Jake Roberts, Austin Mark Merrow, and Undertaker Goldust. Meanwhile, in WCW, Hulk Hogan turned heel, <laughs> kicked off the NWO angle in full... You are as diehard a WWF fan as I know. What were you feeling around this time? Like, seeing what WCW was doing, bringing in luchadors, the monumental NWO angle, like, are you like, what I like isn't good anymore? 
Yes. I think SummerSlam would be the last pay-per-view I would buy until the Apostrophe 2 era. Wow. And it was not... Now, granted, that's fairly anecdotal, but come on. I, uh... I remember this feels like those talking heads on the Monday Night Wars documentary. <laughs> like, on the other channel, things were being radically radicalized, and meanwhile over here, the same clips of Doink the Clown and Duke the Dumpster. Uh, I can say you uh, a lot of people stopped at SummerSlam, so I wouldn't feel bad about that. But we'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interesting note is the WWF filed a lawsuit against WCW because of the way Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were being portrayed. Now, WCW made some concessions right away, saying they wouldn't refer to Hall and Nash by their WWF names, nor imply that they worked there. Uh, this would eventually be settled out of court, but there was this interesting note in The Observer. Ahem. In legal briefs filed by McDevitt, uh, he claimed WCW is, quote, deliberately trying to destroy the WWF's reputation by portraying it as sending its wrestlers on a competitor's show to physically assault personnel affiliated with WCW. Indeed, the whole point of this fraud could reasonably be predicted. The finishes of all the matches will be controlled solely by WCW, and in the end, WCW wrestlers will no doubt trounce the WWF wrestlers, thereby demonstrating organizational superiority. The fact that Titan expects WCW supposed WWF wrestlers to perform poorly or lose matches contributes to the irreparable injury in this case, precisely to make the WWF services look bad in the eyes of the consumers. And now you know why the Sting match went <laughs> at WrestleMania. There you go. Could you think of two more diametrically opposed philosophies? Because, like, J- Uncle Jerry cl- clearly is just mouthing Vince McMahon's id that whole time and him, like, rubbing his hands together, like, I'm going to destroy them. I have to. I have no choice. It's human nature. And yet WCW went so far out of their way to, I guess, uh, support their case in this lawsuit that they had to go in the completely <laughs> opposite direction. You know what it is? It's uh, It's exactly how... WWE has booked AJ over the last year. It's like, we're not, no, no one can even say no, not even a little bit. We put up a graphic. She's nice. We like her. Oh, my dear. Now, when I said nothing happened, that's not quite true. Something happened. It just wasn't planned, although it was probably expected. The Ultimate Warrior's relationship with the company completely collapsed. Uh, What happened was the Warrior's father passed away, and he said that's why he missed three dates. But two of the shows he missed were before his dad passed away. There were disagreements on contractual commitments, the marketing thing. Warrior ended up filing a wrongful termination suit. And this had uh, ramifications that lasted for years because the WWE put out that DVD, led to more lawsuits. But, I mean, this was the entering end of the Warrior in the company. And it's kind of amazing he ever came back. I'd say, yeah, and we have to speak of it in a completely different tone due to his passing. Whereas if we'd done this show... Prior to the reconciliation, then it's like, yeah, the Ultimate Warrior is crazy. Now you have to speak of it in hushed terms and be like, but he entertained millions. (laughs) By the way, on the WF Page a Day calendar, which sits on my desk proudly, the one yesterday was about the time uh, the Undertaker locked the Warrior in a casket and left him to die. So all we saw in this picture was Paul Bear standing next to a closed casket. And I'm like, (laughs) was there no other – nothing else happened on that day you could have mentioned because – like two days before, it was some stupid Randy Orton Shawn Michaels match on Raw from 2007. I had no recollection of, and I'm like, you can do any better than that. Uh, <laughs> I almost thought it was the one where 
uh, the super kick was banned at the Survivor Series, and someone just turned that page and then was like, what a stipulation. <laughs> not so fortunate. No, it was something Sean kicked him, but they were both under the ropes. So it was a no contest. I can't imagine anyone remembering this. I don't. I'm racking it. I'm racking it. Nope. It's not there. I, I thought Randy kicked Sean out of action for a while. Oh, yeah, this must be about then. Because uh, Sean and this is not the 2007. Forget it. It's not important. Okay. They had the 60 minute match, and then uh, <laughs> and then Greg Kali beat everyone up, and then Sean tore his ACL, and then Randy punted him for a while. Anyway, we'll get to that one in about 11 years. <laughs> so the uh, so the NWO was the coolest show, sure as we've established before. Since the WWF wrestlers are invading Nitro, we have to start covering that concurrently. Mm -hmm. So we're doubling your workload. All right. So the July 8th Raw opened with Gorilla Monsoon stating that the Warrior was suspended due to no-showing events, but he would be allowed back if he posted a bond. And then they aired his final televised match against Owen Hart. And it was weird because they were talking about it like it was live, like this was his last match and how this situation was weighing on his mind in the ring. (laughs) But uh, post-match... Pending suspension. (laughs) Yes, that's literally how they put it. But post-match, he was attacked by the Bulldog Invader, and like he was carted out by referees. Cause they could have easily have just done an injury angle, but they get the sense they want to stick it to him a bit. And mm-hmm. uh, they later taped a Warrior comeback when this originally was planned, but they just never aired it. And at the house shows he missed, they got on the mic and said he refused to wrestle in a town like blank, which was kind of... This is exactly that period on the Self-Destruction DVD when they, they changed the... Um the advertised posters, I think, to make him look even worse. I believe so. It was yes. these shows that he missed. Luckily, they had a much more professional and reliable replacement. <laughs> That's true. You lose a piece of your main event for the next pay-per-view. What do you do? You bring back Sid, who I, I guess was hurt at the time. And um, pretty nice rebound. It uh, kicked off probably Sid's best run, but it and it also led to the skit where uh, Sean and I That's met. For got, Sid. <laughs> well, yeah, I... As far as things go, but uh, Sean and Ahmed got ambushed backstage, and Sid arrived and crashed his car to save the day, which I still remember. It's that same car that Goldberg ran over, I think, with the mustard <laughs> truck. <Why>? Goldberg! <laughs> <laughs> we sure have watched a lot of wrestling and it's stuck. Yep. What if we were like Civil War aficionados? <laughs> We could know. Would we be on 1960, no, 1864 right now in our podcast series? That's right. we got a fund to send you to, like, (laughs) Gettysburg. Gettysburg. (laughs) All those Civil War video games, which probably exist now that all wars are immediately uh, digitized into a video game. There was North vs. South, the acclaimed Nintendo game. Comes to mind. I forgot who I was talking about. Well... The company still had a pretty big talent deficit, but don't you worry, Justin, help was on the way. We had an influx of new talent, a lot of former Smoky Mountain guys. This included Teal Hopper, former Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony, as a wrestling plumber. His music was a toilet flushing repeatedly. He had a plunger named Betsy, and his pants would droop mid-match. He got into a feud over with uh, Duke Drossy over Dirty Jobs, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, where the... TL come from? I know Hopper is an old euphemism for toilet, but I don't know where they came up with TL. T stands for toy, and the L stands for left. <laughs> that's about as good as I can come But that's a... Uh, TL. It's a Chinese name. 
<laughs> this, oh my god, I can't even. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, wasn't a lot of YouTube footage to uh, scour of Mr. Hopper there. Hmm. We also had Freddie Joe Floyd, who was Tracy Smothers as a good old boy, I guess. His existence was an in joke, as many of uh, many of them are, because uh, Jack Briscoe's real name was Fred Joe, and Jerry Briscoe's real name was Floyd, and uh, Freddie Joe Floyd was billed from Bowlegs, Oklahoma, the same as the Briscoe brothers. Classic. Yep. Uh, he was an old pistol by now. <laughs> the other one was um, who was the other pistol in like 1990? Steve Armstrong or Scott. Yeah. Steve, right? Uh, but who was he in WWF? Oh, he was um, Lance, Lance Cassidy? Cassidy. Yeah. Okay. Who had the better gimmick? Noted. I'm sure we talked about that. On so we're also gonna have to double back and do those early '90s shows, I think, because they're <laughs> less than satisfactory. Oh no. Yep. No. <laughs> it was uh, it was Steve Armstrong. Cool. Says Wikipedia. So there you go. Royal Rumble participant is probably what it says at the bottom <laughs> of his Wikipedia. <laughs> We'll see. I'll look at Steve Armstrong specifically. Uh, uh, Two lines for his WWF tenure. 1992, Steve came to the WWF as Lance Cassidy under a babyface cowboy gimmick. He made his TV debut on the October 10th, 1992 episode of Superstars, beating Tom Stone. The run proved to be short after after a few TV appearances and some house show victories over Skinner and Terry Taylor. He left in January 1993. I bet you already said that verbatim, though, in the 92 episode. <laughs> I don't think we spent that long on uh, Yeah. Who else showed up? The Pug, Alex Porteau, doing an amateur wrestling gimmick. He got the Steiner Brothers old music. And a, a Pug is supposedly a tenacious fighter, but it's also a nickname for a boxer. So, A pugilist. Yes. Uh, Tom Stone was that jobber, Steve Armstrong? Yes. Should, that's... Um, then he was banned from the company in 2000 when uh, Undertaker dropped Triple H on his head. <laughs> Tom Stone. Oh, how about that? It's pretty cool, that right? pretty cool. A lot of people have names and we're having a good time. <laughs> Who else you got? Probably stupid. <laughs> the goon. Correct. Forcer. Uh, played by longtime journeyman Bill Irwin. Rumored to be offered to Chris Jericho, according to Chris Jericho. Uh, Goon wrestled nine matches in his original run, but found his way to the WrestleMania 17 gimmick battle royal. And I think his highlight was when he slipped on cake or something during a Raw, and Vince made an icing joke. Oh, that's pretty that good, That is Vince. pretty good. I'm sure it was taped and dubbed in, <laughs> His crack staff. Probably not, though, because he didn't have, like, 47 rejected, uh sitcom writers from L.A. on staff. Well, that's how we do this. Back then, they were writing... The goon, and now they were on Go On. <laughs> oh, who else? Beat that, Vince. Uh, Jim Neidhart returned under a mask as who? Right, a wrestler named who, and there's no confusion. <laughs> it's a pity you weren't on the announce team. Uh, you could have saved them much confusion. Why? They were confused as to who who was. They would say who, and someone would think they were asking the question. Yeah, I meant the letter Y. <laughs> oh, the last man. Uh, <laughs> hey, Warriors comic book. Do you think if things had gone differently, he could be one of those um, 
Netflix Marvel Universe series right now if you if you'd gotten hot. Thirteen episodes. Mm-hmm. Be a defender. And picked him up. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. Ultimately, of course. Or that universe is something else. Yes. Um, Pookie. Last, we had Salvatore Sincere, a nice Italian fellow who is always sincere. I thought he was Tom Zink when he showed up, and I'm not 100% sure he's not. You were so close, though. Uh, yeah. but Zink and Gunn had a run. That's true. They were a tab. I mean, I don't know. He was around the longest and got involved in that weird shoot angle, but that's for another day. <laughs> and uh, none of these people were brought in to be successful, which is rather astounding. We need jobbers with credibility. <laughs> that's, or, or none, but... Right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of... Can't just be beating Tom Stone. No. Imagine how Tom Stone could have been reimagined now. We're <laughs> at circa 96. He missed his calling. Indeed. Uh, also, probably the most successful debut, uh, Kevin Kelly showed up to do some commentary. Mm-hmm. Still at it today. Mm-hmm. K-squared. Yep. Oh, that's Kelly Kelly. <laughs> that was an earnest mistake, and not a joke in any way. Wasn't she K2, as in the mountain? Yes. Oh, I never got that. That's interesting since she's so emblematic of the Shakira lyric uh, from wherever, whenever. Suerte que mis pechos sean pequeños y no los confundas con montañas. What? <laughs> Lucky that my breasts are small and humble and you don't confuse them with mountains. Oh. Well. Later on, la la la. Moving on. <laughs> uh, this note from The Observer. Barry Windham had a meeting with Vince McMahon this past week. He was said to have been around 275 pounds, maybe 20 pounds overweight, and was interested in making a comeback at the age of 36. It looks pretty good that he'll be coming in. Maybe they can team him with Dustin Rhodes as... Fill in the blank. Me? Um... Oh. Well, let's see. He's gold dust. Gold dust. And... Old dust? Silver dust. Okay. So close. <clears throat> it was only 36. Yes. Uh, let's see. We had a pay-per-view. International incident. The show is notable for three reasons. One, it did the lowest buy rate of all time to that point. Two, there were actually 15,000 people there in Vancouver to witness it. And three, and this likely factors into one, no titles were defended. The <laughs> World and IC champs were in a tag, and the tag champs were in a non-title match. And the only other pay-per-views I could think of where no titles were defended were the Wrestling Classic, uh, Rumble 89 and 90, Survivor Series 87, 88, 89, and 90. And I think that's it. And all those shows had a tournament or gimmick of some sort. And they just decided to have no title matches here. I mean, why even bother having the show? Right. I mean, given given what WCW did a few weeks earlier, and this is what you throw out, I mean... Maybe that's unfair. I mean, you don't want a hot shot. They had SummerSlam the next month, but they could have done something better, right? And the original main event was Michaels and Warrior and Ahmed Johnson. Like, maybe it's a big deal that Ultimate Warrior would team up with those guys and appear as an attraction, but still. That is, as we say today, could have been on Raw. Uh, It truly, and may as well have been. Just a six-man, I wouldn't, and you, not like they were bragging rights or anything. It was like, we have a match, and then the finish will be useful, but there's no reason to want to watch it. What's funny is Jim Cornette made a promise that if his team lost, he would refund everyone's money, which, (laughs) 
at that time would not have been a big financial hit. But that's usually a babyface move, right? Because you, in that case, either A, you see something good happen in the ring, the babyface wins, or you get your money back. So this way, everyone just ended up sad. <laughs> they were let it ride and sat there being like, oh, we got a check coming or a rebate, I guess. That's probably how Jim Cornette would do it in conjunction with the pay-per-view companies, is issue everyone a rebate, and then yowza. How did Donald Trump do it when he refunded everyone's tickets? Great question. So they were both uh, five or six-man tags main eventing these pay-per-views in July. Yes, one was a little more noteworthy than the other. Although, I have to say that main event is actually a real good match. If you have the network and you're looking for something to watch, you probably haven't seen this. Give it a look. Uh, it's a long match. Four of the six guys are very good at the worst. And Sean gets the sell. The heels work him over. Um, and Sid come in for short bursts. I'll say this for Sid. He was way over with the crowd. He was awful here. Like, there was a spot where he ran in to break up a pin. But rather than just, you know, stopping and stomping or something, he had to do a leg drop. Which isn't a problem, except he had to run off the opposite rope. And since he was so damn slow, the ref just had to stop counting at one point. And um, Sean got pinned by Vader after Cornette grabbed Sean's leg. Sean hit the Vader bomb. And, um, yeah, that was clean. it. Yep, pretty fairly clean for the standards of the time. And, uh, yeah, good match. Uh, check it out. It used to come up a lot in the days when people were very invested in breaking down, like, the the rights and wrongs of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels with regards to jobs, and they'd be like, everything was cool, because Shawn put him over at Survivor Series 92, <laughs> so that sort of excuses subsequent. And then the whole Vader thing would be like, well, clearly, I mean, if Shawn cared, why did he lose it uh, in your in your house right before then? Everything, I'd see the world in two dimensions. Things are just that simple. And for the show, that's really it. Uh Goldust and Undertaker had a really boring match, as they are wont to do. When Mankind came up through the mat for the DQ, he dragged Undertaker under the ring, and then Undertaker just made another hole and came up the other side, and they ended up, they ended up fighting in a boiler room, which might just lead to something. Hmm. And the uh, show opened with the Body Donnas in a non-title match against the Smoking Guns, and the uh, Body Donnas did an interview saying they had gotten rid of Cloudy because they proved they could play mind games and just needed the people in their corner. Dave Meltzer postulated there may have been complaints of too many out-there characters, and also the Cloudy gimmick was stupid, so they realized it wasn't working. And uh, they had a long match, and the Body Donnas won. And uh, Mankind beat Henry Godwin, only notable because it was supposed to be Jake Roberts, and he no-showed. And I never got the full story, but he was brought back, so it must have been something legit. And uh, Steve Austin beat Mark Merrow with the stunner. They tried to set it up like Austin was mad. Merrow kicked him in the face at King of the Ring. That match was okay, and that's it. So that was a the show. Ju- their June match was great. Their July match was just like, okay, fine. Yeah, I didn't really want to see Steve Austin try to go for revenge against the guy he beat, you know. <laughs> so that, A wild man. A wild man. That brings us to August. I think that's kind of... Frey Wyatt, if Undertaker was around more than literally one date in the calendar year, probably could have just recreated that um, initial booking of the Undertaker-Mankind thing. The fat little boy getting heat on him. <laughs> Instead, it was just like he loses, and then he goes back to doing interviews, pretending that he's still a threat to people. <laughs> um, moving on to August, Sonny had been promising a new single star, and on the day after the pay-per-view, 
Sean and Ahmed had a shot at the tag titles. And late in the match, Ahmed was sent outside and was attacked by a man dressed like a Roman gladiator. Jerry Lawler said, he looks like Ron Simmons, but bigger than Ron Simmons. <laughs> it was Ron Simmons, now known as uh, Farouk. Do you remember his last name? Asad. Which was dropped in about two weeks, perhaps beginning the trend of single wrestler names. Anyway, Simmons had been managing a Coca-Cola warehouse when he got the call, and uh, he ended up having quite a run. And he was placed with Sonny, and do you want to explain your theory as to why they placed a uh, black wrestler with white woman for heat? Because everyone's so mad at that white woman for getting to hang out with a cool <laughs> black guy. Damn. You said damn before me. Now, uh, he was a Roman gladiator, right? Because That's correct. Because Dave Meltzer said an Egyptian in uh, his original report, and I didn't quite see that. Because he had a helmet on. Right. I imagine they wear helmets in Egypt, too, but still. He... Yeah. Now, Ahmed and Farouk were scheduled to have a match at SummerSlam, and Ahmed won a battle royal on Raw to earn a future title shot, but we learned Ahmed had an injury. He ended up having emergency kidney surgery and being out for a couple months. They attributed this to the attack from Farouk and uh, being exacerbated in the battle royal, so that meant he was stripped of the IC title, and it would end up being put up in a tournament, but not till after SummerSlam. I genuinely don't know this. Was his injury legitimately from a stiff... Ron Simmons kick? I didn't couldn't quite piece that out. I don't I don't know. I don't know. ended up being rather injury prone, so it's certainly possible, although yeah, yeah. But it just happened. But it didn't seem like there was any real heat on him. And uh I think I just have what you're talking about is them isolating that spot, so maybe I just yeah. made that truth in my mind. Plus they uh later be in the same gang, so uh any residual heat they had would uh have dissipated by then, so That's right. Yeah, that didn't work out too well, but that's a story for another day. That was kind of the... Speaking of Ahmed Johnson getting injured right before an important match. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, this was kind of... Foreshadowing. The end of Ahmed, right? Like, he wasn't around long in 97, and that was kind of the end of him, right? Mm-hmm. Jeez. He would continue to work with the nation in perpetuity <laughs> until he could no more. <laughs> and then he was... It was to the point where I once got a... Uh, Maybe it was the the Montreal back issue of The Observer before it was on the website, and I was reading the WWF notes section, and it kept referring to this person by their last name only as Johnson. And I was like, who is Johnson? (laughs) Johnson did what? (laughs) Insider lingo. Uh, Yeah, Ahmed Johnson, parentheses, Johnson. uh, Speaking of injuries, Chris Candido cracked a vertebrae in his neck at the MSG show on August 9th. On a total fluke, and when they scoped them, they found two lumbar vertebrae fractures as well. And the Body Donners had a few more tag matches, but that was basically it for Candido, who would later see an ECW. Yeah, I thought the scuttle's butt was that... No, that's the plural of scuttlebutt. Um, that he hurt himself from taking the Pro River Plunge every night for a long run. That could certainly Working with Ahmed. be the case there, although they just said... Uh, one of the smoking guns did a move that was just a total fluke, but maybe it was the accumulated damage from being in the mm. proximity of Ahmed Johnson. This is the danger of my going in fresh approach is that I <laughs> You're just slandering a man who Well no, I half remember like I can't separate the things from reading the Observer versus what was just like internet wisdom from before then. Uh I didn't see anything about Ahmed in the uh in the Observer, so We'll ab- absolve him of crime since people Please do. can get sued for what they say on podcasts now. Yep. 
I thought, hey, you got a shout out from one of the preeminent podcasters in our genre. That was, and I thought he was going to be like, you guys do a show that's just as funny as me. Thumbs up. And then he was talking about something else. Well, you know, I'm sure people found their way here from that. Definitely. A bit of a winding road, but still. Not if they um, used Siri and spoke your name into the phone. <laughs> That's true. That been... uh, let's see. Clarence Mason had been hyping a mystery man who turned out to be Crush. The last we heard from was arrested for purchasing steroids and having a handgun. They said he was never convicted, but I'm pretty sure he went to jail for a bit. And uh, when he came back, he had dreadlocks and dressed like a bess. And they made it like a shady lawyer got him back. And needless to say, I don't think Crush would be taken back today. <laughs> Indeed. Speaking of one-word catchphrases, um, Clarence Mason was the attorney who got him off, I think was implied. That is true. No, we'd be seeing a lot of Clarence Mason in the uh, the coming months. I don't know. Crush must have done hard time, hence the fact that his nickname was Jailbird Crush. Yeah, the fans the Jailbird Adam. You would not do that to someone who did not go to jail. That's right. Crush was rather around this point, too. So. Uh, let's see. Filling out the SummerSlam car, they added a four-way tag title match. Savio Owen and Bulldog Sid, because why not? And uh, they also started a lesbian angle with Marlena and Sable, with Marlena stalking her, but they shifted that to Goldust pretty quick, so we had that match as well. And uh, given the endless... Quick enough to get my attention at the time, though. That's true. <laughs> we have explained that Let's see, 14 years old? No, I didn't know what sex was yet, but oh, okay. <laughs> this one was compelling. And uh, given the verbal abuse Jerry Lawler had bestowed on Jake Roberts, that match was made for SummerSlam as well. Aldo Montoya was Jake's... What a card! <laughs> Aldo Montoya was Jake's protege, and as Dave Meltzer noted, Aldo tended to be the protege of whomever Jerry Lawler was feuding with. And after a match, Lawler poured alcohol down his throat. So, them's fighting words, or actions. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to SummerSlam. And uh, SummerSlam was a two-match card. Thankfully, they were the top two matches. Took up a good chunk of the show. Uh, we'll start with the main event, Sean versus Vader. And I think everyone who watched all those old Sting-Vader matches in WCW had super high hopes for this one. But it just never quite got to those heights. It's still very good, if a little oddly structured. It first ended when Sean got counted out of the ring. Cornette got on the mic and deemed this horse shit. Got it restarted. I don't think Sean ever agreed. <laughs> the ref just like, okay. Uh, Cornette used the racket, but Sean got a hold of it and used it on Vader for a DQ. Second verse, same as the first. Match restarted. And uh, third time, Sean dodged a Vader salt, hit a moonsault of his own for the win. And that was basically the end of Vader, meaning much of anything, at the top of the card. He had a couple of the shots, but nothing quite like the first run here. And um, good match, very good match. Just, um, I don't know, expected a little better. Yeah, though, curiously, at least some point between now and our next show, he was uh, had a, the idea he was going to win the belt at Survivor Series. Or maybe that's something... Well, Vader's been on so many podcasts now, and I'm sure this story has come out for real. And again, I defer to you on that uh, information. But then, Vader, like, missed that Survivor Series and Sid went in? Or is this, again, apocryphal internet stuff? I think it's apocryphal internet stuff. They would have a match to determine the number one contender, and they would say something happened to Vader, and he was supposed to win, but he didn't. But 
Okay. I mean, it's never brought up. Yeah, as... a, but Vader. Now that I think about it, was at that Survivor Series. He was. He was in a uh, a Survivor Series match. Mm-hmm. Not a very noteworthy one, but. But yet there was an in your house. It's time, and surely that had to be named after something about Vader. We'll have to parse this all out next time. We'll get there. Boy, I'm more trouble than I'm worth on this episode. <laughs> huh? This the, the Sean match is yeah. It's um again from podcasts. We've come to find out just how fucked Vader was at this time, working with like one arm, right? But uh, it's also the match where Sean has a hissy fit when he he like. Goes for his elbow and turns it into a stop or something. Yeah, like that. He, he like jumps off the top rope and just kind of lands on his feet and stomps Vader and is clearly not happy. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. what was supposed to happen, but it, it didn't look good. And um, another another thing you can point to Sean about uh, being less than professional, perhaps. Some have said. Yeah. Some have said yes, one or two. Uh, Here's a story to watch in the coming episodes. <laughs> Shawn Michaels' professionalism. We also had the boiler room brawl between Mankind and The Undertaker. And the point of the match is to get up from the boiler room to the ring and uh, retrieve the urn, which I don't think was spelled out in the build. Anyway, the first part was uh, pre-taped. It was just fighting in the boiler room, hitting each other with stuff. And there was no commentary for a lot of this. And you you couldn't really hear the crowd. It was just kind of like some weird experimental film of two guys fighting in the dark. Mm-hmm. And they eventually fought their way out. Uh, Mankind doused the Undertaker with hot coffee, maybe foreshadowing why Kane had such a problem. Chris Jericho <laughs> did the same to him uh, four years later. The match is extremely long at 26 minutes, but never really dragged. And they finally get to the ring. Undertaker is about to get the urn when Paul Bear refuses, which allows Mankind to slap on the mandible claw a few times and get the win. So after almost six years, the Undertaker and Paul Bear have broken up, and the Undertaker was carried to the back by druids or something afterwards. A common finish whenever Undertaker loses. Which didn't he didn't even like vanish for long. It was just like, nope. <laughs> here come his guys yeah. to get him out of here. Thank you. <laughs> Can't quite get to the back. So uh. the um, the tape part is so weird because like they work it like a great brawl, except in that context of no announcing and and just in a room, it like none of it feels right. Like the same. Fully bumps have made many a great match, but here it's like, oh, don't do that. That's that's dangerous, sir. <laughs> they, um, I'm trying to think. They fully did one a boiler room brawl with. Did did you with Big Show at Mania 15? Am I remembering right? Yeah, he did a backlash after that Mania. Okay. Um, and I can't think of any boiler rooms brawls in between, but I know he said in his book that. Uh, they did some camera tricks in the 99 one because he was about to go out with surgery. But this one, they just shot a film of Mick Foley killing himself in a boiler room. That's basically it. I have to look this up. I mean, when you get to the um, hard... I mean, there's a lot of hardcore backstage brawling that uh, that would come out of this. and But not, I mean, the match itself. Actually, we have... And then the next Boiler Room Brawl I can think of after that, I, it stuck in my head because of the f- finish, was um, I think they had like Mankind versus the Main Street Posse in a Boiler Room Brawl on just TV one time, which ended when an evil Triple H Santa Claus hit cost. All right, are you ready match? for the history of the Boiler Room Brawl? Yeah, yeah. All right, 
First one, Mankind Defeat the Undertaker in 1996 as covered. Two, Mankind Defeat the Big Show at In Your House Backlash, 1999. Three, Triple H defeated Mankind on Friday Night SmackDown, or I guess it was just SmackDown at that point, on Thursday, September 23rd, 1999. Four, Jerry Flynn defeated the Barbarian on Monday Nitro. I don't know. This Hey, the block doesn't count. <laughs> this, is a, this is a little loose here. And, um, the block's not a boiler. <laughs> just for the record, they list five as Jerry Flynn versus The Wall, ending in no contest when Berlin interfered. Hey, get that block shit out of the list. Edit it right now, Joe. I'm sorry. Wikipedia user Joe underscore G. And then, uh, <laughs> and then lastly, uh, as you mentioned, Triple H as Santa Claus defeated Mankind after interference from the Mean Street Posse and the New Age Outlaws, who are all dressed as Santa. So Mick Foley's worst nightmare come to life. Ah, oh my God. December 20th, 1999. That's such a new light on, on that whole angle. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I uh, I remember that September one two it was a SmackDown. Uh, speaking of like the anecdote, Meltzer just brought up on Observer Radio today about Triple H resenting people saying that Foley got him over was they had this September ninety nine SmackDown where Triple H had to wrestle all five guys in his six pack challenge. There was so much Triple H at that time, mm. and he was not that good. <laughs> so, can't wait to get to that period. Oh, fun. We get to cover two Boiler Room brawls on one show, Joe. That's <laughs> I mean, if we're covering WCW, we should maybe talk about the block ones as well, because that's, you know... Very good point. Very good point. <laughs> I always thought they had the true hardcore championship. <laughs> um... Back to SummerSlam. The rest of the card is not much. It opened with... The rest of SummerSlam, besides the two matches you mentioned, must be most famous just for one spot in the free-for-all match, right? Uh, That would be Yokozuna falling off the top rope and Steve Austin pitting him. (laughs) The ring broke, right? Because he was too fat. Right, yes. Yeah, that's a curious use of your burgeoning franchise player here on your second biggest show of the year, but it's not like there was a master plan to any of this. It all just sort of happened. Indeed. And I mean, yeah, I mean, granted, you're feeding Steve Austin a win over a former champion, but he was a guy who couldn't really have a match. I don't even know how... Well, you should go over the SummerSlam before we add our constructive criticism, but I don't even know how you could make an undercard out of the pieces involved that would be good uh open with savio against owen for 13 minutes it's fine but 13 minutes goodness and sid beat the bulldog the story here and in the owen match was that clarence mason came down he's trying to poach jim Cornette's talent in a story i don't think went anywhere and um i forgot but he succeeded he did we'll uh we'll get to that i forgot mason was in wcw as jay biggs with Ahmed. that's right and um the Jerry Lawler-Jake Roberts match was a mess. It was just Lawler doing comedy. He wore a Ravens jersey. To the consternation of the Cleveland crowd, Mark Henry was on commentary and either said nothing or laughed at Lawler's jokes, which I don't think he was supposed to do. And Lawler actually won when he hit the alcoholic with a bottle of Jack Daniels and poured it down his throat. And I know Jake would get his revenge, but like two months later, like, what the hell? Yeah. And then Punk and Jericho did that angle a few years ago. That's true. With a sugar bottle. Yep. <laughs> I don't uh, think Cleveland was mad at Lawler, Joe. I think they were like 
just buzzing 19 years in advance saying, bring Joe to us. Why isn't Joe here? (laughs) This would be better if Joe Gagne of a website called YouTube was here. (laughs) Now here's what YouTube is. I've been to Cleveland a lot of times, Joe. I don't quite frankly see the appeal. Really? What brought you to Cleveland? Oh, concerts. Oh. Springsteen. Uh, we uh, not come, how far is it from Pittsburgh? Seems like a, about two and a half hours. Really, that's it. Maybe I should go to this convention. I was, I was going to say, like, uh, wait a minute. This is yeah, okay. I'll get on a steroid cycle so I can peak my physique <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> Went to the uh, vote for change rally in two thousand four, which, as far as I recall, was successful. Okay. Michael Stipe and Springsteen and Connor Ober successfully. Uh, defeated George W. Bush. <laughs> I thought Pittsburgh was just far away from everything. No, man. I'm oh, sorry. It's far closer to Cleveland than Philadelphia. Oh, interesting. Are you holding out hope for a Philadelphia WrestleMania? Hmm. I'm holding out hope for a Pittsburgh WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a real hassle. <laughs> That would be something. Who knows? That's right. Super Bowl at Heinz Field, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> WWE will have to answer it. <laughs> just gotta get, the get that Bowl. indoor attendance record. It would not be hard to exaggerate that number <laughs> to get the record. I mean, they have a big stadium right in Pittsburgh, right? It does. Yeah, why not? The problem it's- with... Uh, I remember like Boston was rumored, and I'm like, where are they going to hold it? Because you have Gillette Stadium, but that's 20 miles outside of Boston. They're not going to... Where are they going to have shots of, like, empty fields <laughs> in Foxborough? I don't – I mean, you could hold it in Fenway Park. That's cool. It's only, I think, about 40,000 they could fit in there. And mm-hmm. you're not going to do, like, you know, the little meager college stadiums. That's, like, another 40,000 or so. That's not barely if mm-hmm. that. So I never really bought that. And it sounds like that's not the case. So so be it. I was curious at the time. But maybe you can just blow them away with your – sizzle package that the city puts together the chamber of commerce wrestlemania please come to maybe they got mixed up with the olympics yeah that's probably what happened which is also equally absurd but six of one half dozen of the other anyway back to uh SummerSlam. the four-way tag title match was as he lists the matches you'll see it was just i think the nadir of uh tag team wrestling in the company and things would pick up the next month thankfully Mm mm-hmm uh, Goldust beat Mark Merrow in an okay match. Mankind came down and called Sable Mommy, which I don't think ever went anywhere. And Merrow was doing a lot of jobs at the time, but this would uh, pay off in a bit. And as we said, Stone Cold was relegated to the pre-show. He beat Yokozuna in two minutes. And um, not quite the uh, a rocket. Um, Owen? No, <laughs> a rocket push for Austin after his King of the Ring. I mean, he was clearly winning matches, but not... Uh, Nothing, but his time would be coming soon. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of dead time on the show, I guess because they canceled the Ahmed match. But they had an introduction from Mark Henry. Farouk came out, cut a promo. They aired a bunch of uh, superstars in Cleveland vignettes, the best of which was the Godwins versus the Smoking Guns in a battle of public transportation, where the Guns had a horse-drawn carriage and the Godwins took a train, and the Godwins won. Oh, and there was also the, uh, the bikini blast off where they recreated the uh, baby Ruth in the pool scene from Caddyshack with T.L. Hopper and probably his top uh, moment in the Fed. I remember one of the selling points of this show beyond the main events and 
to be fair, it was a hazy time when I was shifting 90% of my energy to Nitro was that on the pre-show, they'd have Sonny and Marlena and Sable in some sexy bikinis. There you go. And it paid off. I don't remember if they did. I guess they were. They were in bathing suits in a pool. Yes. I can verify this paid off. Mm -hmm. All right. On to September. Some interesting business notes. Superstars as a syndicated program ended up going away because at this point paying for television wasn't feasible. And the show ended up on the USA Network. And as Dave Meltzer noted, and I quote, According to some reports, the original idea was to add a show on cable or on a secondary television network somewhere other than the USA Network because Titan didn't want to have all its eggs with the weakening of syndication in one basket because a change in direction at USA at that point would threaten the company if it had all its key television on that network. So they uh, very smart lesson there, I'd say. I get yeah. This is um all news to me. <laughs> I really did lose touch with the Fed at this point. But no, I saw mind games, huh? I'm learning as we go <laughs> on. Uh, sorry, you blew me away there for a second as I was trying to track my superstars' uh, viewing habits. Wouldn't it be amazing if I had known you were going to bring that up and prepared new <laughs> lyrics to the Superstars theme right now? But I don't. Okay. Well, you have a goal. It would have to go Roman Cool, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Hall of Famer. <laughs> go from there. I miss the Cena Cool eras because it, it had the same cadence. True. But, you know, that's the task I'm tasked with. Uh, there was also a story. I remember this vividly that the WWF was looking into weekly $10 pay-per-views that would air Saturdays at midnight from New York, be a bit more risque than the regular fare. This didn't go anywhere for a number of reasons, mainly a Saturday show would kill house show business on the best night of the week, and you would have to average between 60000 and 70000 weekly to break even. And if that concept of a show sounds familiar, it would be used on regular television in early 1997. It sounds like this became some sort of shotgun to Saturday night. Yeah, it could be. So, I mean, clearly this was not a good idea, and it seriously died after like two weeks. But I remember it would have been interesting had they tried. Mm -hmm. like, yes, they could have been the first TNA. I know. It's, I mean, but at least they had television to, you know, spotlight these right. shows. Right, right, right. Uh, Raw at this time was preempted by the U.S. Open, so they had a special Friday show on September 6th, and the rumor was this was a trial run for a new time slot, but they did a bad number and it never happened. And Shawn Michaels fought Goldust? Yeah, that's correct. See, you were watching at this time. Yeah. Do you know what the uh, biggest crowd of the year was? Um... Now, the year includes January 97, and you were referring to the <laughs> Royal Rumble. Oh, shit. Um, no. Uh, oh, wait, did they do, like, a Kuwait Kuwait tour? No, they did a sold show in Toronto and drew 21,000. With the ladder match. I think you're right, yeah. It was the same location as the big event that drew, like, 74,000 back in 1986. But that was the biggest for them of the year, I think, for WCW, too, because the North Korea shows were 94. Five, so yeah. And Goldust and Sean had a ladder match, and I've seen fan cam of it, and it's like those Brett and Owen, Brett and Flair Iron Man matches, where 
I think you just presume with the names and the stipulation that it'll be great, but then it's just a house show match with that stipulation. Yep. All right, for the next pay-per-view, the original reports were uh, Sean and Supersock, Jose Lothario versus Vader and Cornette, and the pay-per-view would be called School of Hard Knocks. But instead, <laughs> we got Mankind versus Shawn Michaels at Mind Games, which works out fine because they won the top two matches the night before at SummerSlam. Undertaker was carried away by druids, but he wasn't gone at all. In fact, there was static the next night to sense his, to show his presence was still around. And they announced him versus Goldust, of course, because he was just ping-pong between him and Mankind, but this would be a final curtain match. And uh, Mark Henry was mad at Jerry Lawler's shenanigans, and even though he probably wasn't ready, he accepted Lawler's challenge. And uh, Jim Cornette and Sonny yelled at each other, and that led to a tag title match with Owen and Bulldog challenging, so... A good chunk of Raw that month was built around the IC title tournament, and uh, it came down to Mark Merrow and Farouk. And you would think the finals would be on the pay-per-view, but they were going to be saved for Raw the night after, which I think is pretty telling. Finals on the pay-per-view. We're not going to get to the perfect crime this episode. Nope, that's next time. I can't wait. I would have had something to say about what she just said. Well, well we haven't mentioned Hunter Hearst Helmsley yet, because uh, we don't talk about losers on this show. Uh-huh. But his losing streak continued from our last episode and was made worse as Mr. Perfect came to ringside during his matches, stole his valets, distracted him, caused him to lose. So more to come on that. Yeah, Hunter Hearst Helmsley had lovely ladies managing him. Still. And then he was like, enough of that. <laughs> that was mean. I'm, but, well, let's be realistic. Mm-hmm. It was a China diss and not a Stephanie diss for the record. Good. Uh, Kurt Angle, who won the gold medal, at 220 pounds in the Olympics, received an offer from Linda McMahon. Angle had also received offers from at least two Japanese promotions. Uh, at least one of them was either Rings or UWFI. And another note, Kurt Angle, the Olympic gold medalist in freestyle wrestling, was in the office on September 5th and had a meeting with Vince McMahon. They must feel that there's a decent shot of getting him, because the, that fact was announced on television, but there's no deal done at this point. Interest has also been expressed in Matt Gaffari, who took the silver in Greco-Roman in the super heavyweight division, losing to Alexander Karelin. And uh, Matt Gaffari went on to be a terrible pro wrestler for uh, 0-1 in Japan, and pretty much the antithesis of Kurt Angle. If the Lunder Blaze had really revolutionized the women's division as they portrayed she did in her Hall of Fame packages, they should have brought in... Carrie Strug to do a program. She seems like the hottest person coming off those Olympics. She could sell, brother. She could be managed by that guy. She could work with, I don't know, another girl. Give that girl Richard Jewell as a heater. <laughs> a heater. What, um, so, Engel didn't sign for a while then, though, right? No. Not until he went to that camp with all those other guys. Yeah, that was like, it would have been 98, right? For right. two years or so. Mm-hmm. Man, what's got into this pizza? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that your um, a SIG for a while on a Delphi board, I want to say? It was like my own private thing was Kurt Angle's um, local pizza commercial and his run as a sports broadcaster, which was truly <laughs> for a guy who developed so much personality so rapidly and then had it slowly drain out of him as he became like just a, a walking wrestling machine with no soul in sure. eventual years but oh man so that commercial 
in a time before internet culture could like seize on any weird random thing and then make it a meme and so i knew it and i couldn't like convince my internet mates like yourself <laughs> that this had happened that kurt angle watched pizza toppings cartoons in a worked match with each other and said <laughs> the words what's gone into this pizza which is great because you know he had to method act that all he couldn't actually see no, fresh peppers <laughs> but then i think rock showed it on an early 2001 raw and then i was proved correct but then it wasn't my special thing anymore. Then everybody had seen it. It's so weird because YouTube existed at that time as the crowd in Cleveland in 1996 right. demonstrated. So I think you could have just shown it, but I guess not. Uh, no. Would have had to get like a massive .mpeg file <laughs> and upload it on some server. God. What a time. Indeed. Uh we started getting vignettes for Barry Windham as the stalker. His gimmick being he was obsessed with his old girlfriend. No way. He was a hunter survivalist, and he dressed exactly like Spike Dudley did in the WWF. And uh, this was yet another loser gimmick in about the twelfth one on this podcast. So it was a rib on Zabisco <laughs> coming through Bruno's bushes. <laughs> hey, that paid off. Mm-hmm. I never got to hear Zabisco's speech because my sound just cut out during the Hall of Fame, so I don't know if Larry was swearing up a storm or just saying WWF repeatedly. So. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you? He was. Uh, no, I think I got the gist of it. Mm. Well, he did sneak into Bruno's swimming pool. <laughs> so <his> majestic <laughs> visage. As a, um, have you ever been tempted as a Pittsburgh uh, native? All the time. <laughs> Um, let's see Bob Backlund started popping up saying he was bringing in a wrestler to win the WWF title and introduced Iron Sheik as the trainer and the wrestler himself would ultimately be revealed as the Sultan who was a repackaged Fatu see his speech what's that he didn't mention this what's that (laughs) if he saw his speech this never came up well the Sultan um, according to Jerry Lawler had his tongue cut out when he was taken hostage and didn't talk so maybe he was being true of the gimmick and not speaking Ah, Sultan um, yeah this was another terrible gimmick yeah it was insulting our intelligence (laughs) oh my lord Uh, Ron and Don Harris returned as the Grim Twins do you remember their names no Jared and Jason what? Yes, they were the Grim Twins. Somewhat surprising because they got they got into a fight with Shawn Michaels the last time they were there. And yeah. Uh, anyway, they shaved their heads and were a brother team. And uh, they rarely made TV. They weren't around for long. There's one match online of them against the Jinx brothers, Wilgo and Angus, I believe, who are a masked Matt and Jeff Hardy. So check it out. So they were under contract and they were just waiting for the nation to diversify into three different Games. Yeah, and then uh, it paid off. So they got almost a year before that happened. Mm-hmm. On uh, that special Friday edition of Raw we mentioned, Jim Ross announced that he had the biggest news story in his 20-year career. He would reveal it on the hotline. And then later he just did it on the show, saying negotiations were ongoing with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to return to the WWF. He promised more information on the weekend shows, 
which there was none because this was all taped before Vince. They were taped before Vince thought of all this. And uh, on the next Raw, Ross kept plugging it. Gorilla Monsoon declared that Hall and Nash were under contract to another league, and they kind of put the uh, heat on Ross for being a crazy man and hoodwinking the fans. And um, they would actually debut, not exactly on pay-per-view, but on the Monday Night Raw after Mind Games. I remember now what's to be said about this I just I mean if uh, I was certainly interested and was like well how are they going to get out of this one yeah I remember the, the internet going yeah the internet just went if you imagine there was a if like Michael Cole just dropped like oh by the way CM Punk is in negotiations to turn <laughs> to the Federation we'll have more later like clearly Twitter would explode and I remember at the time the internet such as it was was going nuts trying to figure this out and um it never really amounted to much of anything but we'll get to that in a bit actually okay. next time didn't Meltzer um or maybe it comes later he he postulates in the observer that Ross would be leading a WWF version of the NWO with the invading WCW guys of Austin and Ron Simmons and others all banded together that was uh, that was not quite what happened. No, it was not. <laughs> Sadly, uh, we got. He also postulated perhaps having other people in the fake razor and diesel gimmicks, and how no. incredibly lame that would be. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Livewire started on September twenty first, which had a handful of highlights over the years. I believe in October, uh, Paul E. Dangerously called in and berated Vince McMahon. Were you ever a regular viewer, or was this just outside the purview of... Uh... I like to sleep in on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, that seems a wiser uh, a wiser decision than watching live. At least until the Marissa years. Well, sure. The former, future, or current Mrs. Shane O'Mac, right? Yeah. All right. Because they get, so, they get married around this time. Probably. I do believe. Uh, let's see. Last note: Undertaker was injured for some house shows, so they had Mark Henry and someone else fill in. Do you have any guesses? I mean, I didn't know there'd be quizzes on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Mark Henry, and other times filling in for the Undertaker would be. Uh, a babyface Isaac Yankum? Well, I can't say you're close, but it was Bill Watts. <laughs> they oh. did an angle in Oklahoma where uh, Mankind jumped Watts as he cut a promo. Hmm. May as well have been Danny Hodge. Yeah. Crush an apple in his hand. That's him, right? Okay. Yeah. Because uh, we once booked a Danny Hodge spy thriller. <laughs> called In the Grip. <laughs> Devotees may recall. It was the first good joke in my appearances on this show. But not the last. Eh. Eh. Alright, on to In Your House Mind Games. Another in a line of one-match shows. This time the main event between Shawn Michaels and Mankind. And uh, I don't know if you listened to fledgling podcast List Them and Learn with uh, young Matt Feuerstein. Who? Uh, anyway. The show I did with uh, Matthew, Alan Forel, and myself, we ranked the 
top ten WWF matches of the 90s, and all three of us had this match on our list. And the only other ones, I think, to make that claim were Austin Hart from WrestleMania 13 and Brett Owen from WrestleMania 10. So, clearly a, a well-thought-of match. I'll say. <laughs> no, this- it's one of those... Um, everyone wants to, to change the finish, to give it a finish, so it can be five stars. Um that and the Helmet Cell coming the next year are the ones where people seem to want to retrofit the booking just so it can do better in those kind of lists you make 20 years later. <laughs> but, uh, the, um, what, what, oh yeah, Mankind has to headline the next in your house against The Undertaker, so I guess they just couldn't do a finish. Yeah, it was weird because they actually announced that match during this pay per view. And they said it would be non-sanctioned, so no titles would be on the line. But still, a little... What happened was, they had a a, um, a super brawl. Like, both guys are, you know, really big bump takers. And aesthetically, you have, like, the good-looking baby face against the literal monster. And there's a lot of craziness in the match. But it felt it felt organic, like, when Mankind ends up under the mats outside the ring. And Sean just does this blind leap and just flat-out stomps on him. And the ending... I mean, the ending is a little... Vader runs in for the DQ late, and Sean just kind of has to stand around for a second, and then Sid comes down throw these awful punches. <laughs> Undertaker shows up in a coffin. He brawls with Mankind, and Sean's just alone at the end with nothing to do. He's like, oh, okay, guess I'm, guess I'm done, and he wasn't, I don't think he's on the next pay-per-view, so. No. <laughs> but this was an absolute must-see match. Like, I mean, reviewing full pay-per-view seems a bit moot, because you can just go to the network and watch the good stuff, so, you know, you don't have to spring for a whole show now, but I mean, if you haven't seen this match, definitely go go check it out. And I don't think Sean and Foley ever worked again, did they? I think they worked with the face here reversed shortly after SummerSlam 97, leading to the genesis of Degeneration X, because oh. Foley was programmed with Hunter H at the time. Okay. Something for you to look forward to. Yeah. I just took the thrill of discovery away from you. <laughs> but it was... Um... It's funny because the uh, like the wrestling hipsterdom of now will be like, what should have happened in 1996 was the world's best worker, Dustin Rhodes, should have beat Sean Klain for the title and then just had Matt Classic all the time. <laughs> That's a touch removed from the context of the day. A little. Um, the only other noteworthy thing on the show is the opener, a strat match between Savio Vega and Justin Hawk Bradshaw. There's not a whole lot to the match, but they're fighting outside the ring. You can see Tommy Dreamer sitting front row, kind of just in camera view. As they get closer, Sandman gets up and spits beer all over Savio, and leading to the ECW contingent getting kicked out. This was well done because it didn't hit you with the uh, subtlety hammer, and um, you know they didn't like like oh they didn't make a big deal out of it. Vince is like <laughs> oh some rival league trying to get attention. You're like well you, I mean you could tell it was planned, but they did a good job in not making it seem that way. It was the correct context for that sort of thing, which does not exist today. True. Remember when Matt Hardy came back and had to jump Edge in a backstage segment yes, before he came true. out of the crowd? Unlike um, SmackDown last night, where all those fans ran in the ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did a fine job hitting moves on each other. It's scary. I heard they were inspired by the last Joe versus we did in the discussion of that guy who took out Randy Orton. <laughs> That's true, Randy Orton. Overseas. <laughs> Oh, the power of podcasts is just too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, thank you, Serial. Yeah, <laughs> but it's—I uh, mean, kind of mind-boggling that to ever think Vince would work with another federation, 
you know, in in any kind of way to, I mean, clearly they were not doing well against WCW, but to just fathom Vince, you know, deigning himself to work with another company is a little, still a little mind-boggling after all these years. Yeah, remember what you said about McDivitt's interpretation of the lawsuit at the beginning of the show, and remember the fact that it probably, well, I say fact, but the notion, the supposition... <laughs> That he won't even like accept NXT to that degree. Mm. Everyone who comes up from NXT has to be like a hard trying rookie who's going to lose more than they win. <laughs> but we would see more ECW involvement in the uh, the months to come. It was uh, off and on a, a weird thing playing out in the background. Speaking of Livewire, Paul. Oh, you said that, yeah. But no, Paul calls is like Bruce in Connecticut yeah. or something. Like that and son is like. Hey, it's my brother-in-law. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh! We did you do the family tree for that one? <laughs> I guess it's, it's Zip is Skip's brother, and then Zip's brother is Bruce Pritchard, who Paul was. Uh, <laughs> what? Well, Sonny is the hosting Livewire, and Bruce from Connecticut calls is Paul Heyman. Using the nom de plume of Bruce Pritchard, and Bruce Pritchard is Tom Pritchard's brother, and Tom Zip Pritchard is Skip's brother, <laughs> and Skip is Sonny's true love. So that makes Bruce Paul her brother-in-law over the phone. <laughs> okay. It's like Games of Thrones. Sure. Actually, I've never seen that. Me neither. It seems stupid. <laughs> I don't have time for this. These, uh, your fantasy trifles. Shows, yeah. mm-hmm. Anyway, back to 1996. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Savio, who won his match, was attacked backstage by Razor and Diesel, only filmed from far away. The cameraman gave chase but was foiled by a door. We'd have to wait another day to find out what was up. Uh, Jose Lothario beat up Jim Cornette in a minute. Only noteworthy because Clarence Mason got an out of it Jim Cornette to sign something in the back that would come into play later. And uh, let's see. Owen and the Bulldog won the tag title from the Smoking Guns in a disappointing match. They were kind of teasing dissension as Billy was with Sonny when they came out. Bart seemed annoyed. The end saw Bart bump into Billy. Billy shoved Bart into a power slam. Bulldog got the pin and then Sonny fired both the Smoking Guns. And that was uh, about it for them after three plus years as a team. So, It'd be opposing Survivor Series. That's right. And, uh... <laughs> the entire... Now, yeah, Owen and Bulldog, I guess... Let's just... If we're going to fix the tag division of the entire Godwins to Headbangers era, let's just have Owen and Davey be the tag champs the whole time. What's the earliest they can take the belts? <laughs> Beginning in 96? Sure. And they can keep them until that dude love angle. So, there. That's okay. You know, it's funny. Intercontinental title, I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. People say, uh, oh, they put tag teams together just to rush to break them up. But the guns were together for three years, and no one gave a shit when they broke up. So, <laughs> just just saying. Uh, Mark Henry made his debut against Jerry Lawler. We saw a vignette where Lawler threw coffee on Mark Henry backstage. Again with coffee. Um... Probably a perfect match for Henry because Lawler had endless experience working with <laughs> inexperienced big dudes in Memphis and and dropping the USWA title <laughs> right. for a week. That's right. I'm sure uh, surprised he did not 
have a rematch at the Mid-South Coliseum two weeks later. <laughs> Only thing of note, Lala taking this crazy stuntman bump. He seems to take a flat-back bump like, from the ring to the concrete and like smash his head against the railing. And Henry won with a Canadian backbreaker, so number one for the Hall of Pain. And then the um, New Rockers and Triple H ran out and attacked Henry because they were mad a good guy won or something. I mean, Triple H and Lawler were teammates from the previous Survivor Series. That I can get, but I don't, <laughs> don't see the new Rockers. Hmm. That seems like the kind of booking for Roman Reigns pre-WrestleMania. <laughs> just like, we just need a bunch of guys to take bumps for him. Doesn't matter who. <laughs> I'm sure all those guys, well, all those guys were available. Triple H was there, and um, anyway. <laughs> uh, Goldust and Undertaker had a final curtain match, which means it could only end in a pinfall. But Whoa! Goldust still had the ref distracted when he threw powder into Undertaker's eyes, and the ref was still... Was it Powder Joe, or was it Gold Sparkles? Uh, probably Gold Sparkles. And the the ref would do a five count when they were in the rope, so I don't know. Didn't seem no DQ. Don't know. But these two never had good matches. Undertaker won, and then they announced the stipulation for the next show. And um, that is it for Mind Games. So, And that's it for our... Uh, little three-month swing here. This was very... Nothing happened in uh, a couple of months. It, interestingly, attendance was up, but ratings and buy rates were down, especially buy rates were tanking pretty bad at this time. That is the secret of Sean's reign, is that it drove him mental and took away his smile, but he was actually drawing pretty good houses. It's just their ratings were suddenly dwarfed by the competition, and the pay-per-view was sinking in the in-your-house cash grab era. What did in-your-houses cost when they were $2? <laughs> Two hours? $15? Yeah, they were 15 mm. Like, I think SummerSlam dropped, I think, like 30% from the one headlined by Diesel and Mabel. So, mm-hmm. and you just saw what the competition was doing. And when Vince McMahon's like, I always felt we had the best product. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you didn't. Like, and the fact that you think that is telling. Yes, it is. And just, I mean, uh... And the fact that you think that is why Scott Hall and almost Kevin Nash had to go in the Hall of Fame as Razor Ramon and Diesel. No, he didn't go in as Diesel. Yeah, I said almost. almost so. Check the tape. <laughs> what, um... Yeah, I mean... Not uncoincidentally... A certain hit the hitman heart is about to get a call to come back fairly soon. Yes. Oh, also on um, I almost forgot. Speaking of that, uh, Brian Pillman had been promising an interview with Bret Hart at the at the uh, pay per view, and Bret was just like, "Nope, still retired." He was on. His, he did the South African tour lately, and uh, he and uh, Owen Hart came out and said, "Like, oh, Bret's a liar." And they brought out uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who had been challenging all the big names, and he. Said you could put an S in front of Hitman. That's what I think of Bret Hart, and some little some of the building there that may lead to something. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's funny that Pillman and Owen would be on the same page with Austin on this issue. Indeed, soon they would change their minds. Yes, for a couple of after an so. emotional plea. <laughs> yes, and also uh, boy. Well, I'm glad we got through that. I think. Things should start to get interesting right about now. That's Bob Dylan once saying. <laughs> yes, because um, we have uh, we have a lot of the pieces for the boom period in place, but not uh, there's still one to come next time. But uh, it, the pieces were there, not being used as well as you <laughs> might hope, and you can tell, you know, there's there's something there. But I mean, 
clearly these were not good times. I mean, like you said, this was maybe the dullest three-month stretch we've ever done. I think the the context of 94 and 95 was stupider and more... That's the kind of clips you'd pull to use in the, oh, Raw had lost its touch type of montages in documentaries. But depth-wise, here... I would say, with Brett out of the picture and the Outsiders bailing, is the lowest. Like, literally the least amount of depth. Like, how many stupid gimmicks did they bring in during this podcast alone? Just, <laughs> I mean, nothing that would pan uh, out, at least in the form that, that, you know, they were intended. Like, Farouk had a nice run, but not as a Roman gladiator. <laughs> right, and you have Chris Candido and Al Snow under contract, yeah. but it's... Like they would both be gone. Even having a good match once. Yep. And it's just, yeah. So try and make a Survivor Series card out of these people, and you will see what happens. Mm-hmm. Although, curiously, that is probably the best Survivor Series ever, but we'll uh, save that for another time. Sounds like a list them and learn. Hmm. Yes. I think 2002. Ah. But. Um, yeah. Perhaps. Are you going to be on List Them and Learn soon? Yes. Or is he going to be on your show soon? That too. Oh, my goodness. They're I... all coming out. We're going to crash the site. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Hopefully within the next seven days. Oh, my goodness. The month of our podcasting network. Wow. One of which is recognized as a real podcast. <laughs> I think our That was an unintentional burn on Matt when I just mean yours is the show with, with cachet. I appreciate that, but I... Always enjoy a good list and learn. And Justin Shapiro show. Cool. It's pretty much just all of us appearing on each other's shows in perpetuity. That's right. But that's okay. It's the illusion of, uh, I don't know, something. Gravitas. Sure. But I should hopefully be on list and learn after you're on, because I'm not allowed on until you're on. After urine? After urine. Top ten. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Number one? <laughs> That joke was funnier than it should have been. <laughs> All right, that's- um, yes. Well, we did this one, and it's in the books as part of our contractual obligation that's to cover right. everything. And part of the obligation is for you to watch all that stuff. So, ha ha. Well, I mainly stick to uh, the pay per views and key points of Raw. And the Observers? And the Observers, too. But that's a treat. That's oh, not for sure. Yeah. Well, that's probably a more pragmatic approach because there's more and more hashtag content coming. Oh, yes. So it's going to be uh, – it's a little harder than when we could cover like four shows or four pay-per-views in one podcast. Yeah. We went over this conundrum last time, but yeah. The world is changing. It is. The world is flat. Technology. Changing market interfaces. These are the things we're dealing with at this point in time. Seems accurate. Well, I thank you, Justin, for uh, sure. Hearing, and we'll check. Let's check the big board. Twenty-four thousand dollars. We did it, Joe. Oh my goodness! People really responded. More than I ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Actually, don't check today. It's oh weird. wait, I'm sorry. There's a decimal. Oh. oh, we actually lost. Hopefully, it's. <laughs> Let's see. Let me check the bun, the funding. I'm still at 70% I'm doing of a goal. drum roll, but any time I've done a drum roll on a podcast, it never sounds like that. Yeah. All right. Like I said, uh, tinyurl.com 
com slash FTA Cleveland, or there'll be a link nearby. And, um, yeah, if you could give a buck or two or more, I won't say no, I'd appreciate it. If not, don't worry, still cool. <laughs> and um, that's going to do it from here. So Wait, what is the, what is the, the name of that concept called? What if it had a title? What concept is that? The oh, concept of sending you and your first sourcing? No, nope, oh. but you specifically. What? And if it was an offshoot of the title of what we just did? Oh, Joe traverses the world. <laughs> That's so awesome. Our uh, mutual friend James Kalen, Colin. That's right. One of them. <laughs> Do you just mispronounce other people's vowels? <laughs> no, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to. I wasn't sure how to pronounce his name. But he, mm. when I made that joke on Twitter, he asked if you came up with it, and I said, "Who else could?" It's the truth. He sussed us badly. Yes, but you deserve it, Joe. Oh, you deserve. Thanks. They should. Once you take out like the amount that I get paid for this, and the amount I get paid for naming traverses the world, I really hope you get enough. So. Because you've done so much work, and it's time to make you transient. Okay. You've had Joe in one state this whole time, and as Michelle Obama said, let's move, or something like that. <laughs> so, well, get Joe southward. Maybe I'll go. That would be something. But it's about video games. Do I, have to, I should have to like win the tournament to get to meet <laughs> This could be like the wizard. Ooh, you're right. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, I thank you for your time and uh, jokes. Yep. And uh, also recording the show. I have a WordPad document that I started uh, at five minutes before we started recording to write down all the observations I had about this period. And the only thing it says is... Uh, pixelate faces question mark which is I think something I wrote when you were talking about the McDivitt lawsuit about <laughs> outsiders and I was going to say uh, yeah that's when they started uh, pixelating National Hall's faces on Nitro <laughs> so this was a barren episode for me and I apologize to all the great fans and don't when you think of what you're going to donate think about the composite of our whole canon and not the last 80 minutes there you go I like I like this show. I had fun. We definitely revealed everything that happened. That's true. And then I said something. Then he went back to the stuff that happened. Yep. There you have it. All right. Thank you, Justin. We'll be back uh, probably a couple months. If I skip the TV, these come out a bit quicker. But uh, don't hold me to that. And you're on a list them, and I'm on a list them prior to that. Yep. And Matt will talk to me in just a couple days. So, oh, man. Oh, man. Content aplenty coming out so thank you justin thank you for listening out there thank you talk to you again after a while thank you obama oh yeah i have to stop it yes you do (laughs)